Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, November 21st. Joan Walsh is with us now, Nation Magazine National Affairs Correspondent and co-producer of the Emmy-nominated The Sit-In on NBC's Peacock TV stream. Her latest article, New York State Cost Democrats Control of Congress. Will Anyone Be Held Accountable? So thanks for starting the week with us, Joan, with nothing much to talk about. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, I don't really know how we're going to fill the time, but, you know, I trust you. You're you're one of the greats. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best along with you. And we'll get to your article about who should be held accountable for New York costing Democrats the House. I think you and Mayor Adams have kind of opposite takes. But mm. let's start with Merrick Garland appointing a special counsel to finish the Trump investigations over the classified documents in January 6th. Here's the attorney general explaining why and why now. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Such an an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. So what do you think, Joan? Does this appointment make any potential prosecution of Trump more credible or more just? I think it's very hard to say that uh, in either direction, Brian. You know, this is one of those cases where I am very opinionated. As you know, I love sharing my opinions. But on this one, I, you know, I don't have a law degree and I just am not one of those people who sits around and second guesses Merrick Garland. You know, very smart people do. I take my hat off to them, but that's never going to be me. So I think, you know, again, very smart people think he didn't have to do this, but he did do it. And it is with an abundance of caution, which he is known for. Uh, the most important thing that I was able to glean in the, you know, the days since he did this, you know, my question was, does this slow everything down? Does this somehow slow walk, as they say, uh, any kind of action against Donald Trump? And, you know, even people who are critical of the move say it does not. So that's what I worried about. Uh, you know, the special uh, counsel, Jack Smith, I love that he was prosecuting war crimes in The Hague before this because, you know, I don't know if if this guy, the former guy committed war crimes, but it feels pretty close. Uh, I don't think that that the Trump forces have anything uh, to shake one another's hands about or high five about. Uh, I, I think that this will proceed at about the same pace it would have. And he gets, you know, he gets to see, use, enjoy all of the products of the investigation up until now. So I am mildly encouraged by it because it is a, a formal indication that Garland really thinks something bad went on here. Yeah. Some people say if he took this step, then 
it indicates that he thinks a prosecution, an indictment will come against Donald Trump. We will see. Neither of us are lawyers. But you are a political analyst, and one effect that seems to have politically, at least in the short term, is that just as a lot of Republicans and even right-wing media were going negative on Trump as a presidential candidate after his impact on the midterm election results, they're rallying around him again as allegedly a victim victim of a politicized Biden administration. Do you think Biden's attorney general just actually gave a boost to Trump's candidacy by giving him a new grievance to stoke? I really don't because they would have found one somewhere anyway. They would have found one. They were they were not fully moving away from him. We've seen this before. You know, after January 6th, it all it looked like, okay, finally. I mean, many, many other times before, don't get me wrong, access Hollywood tape, etc. They they were moving away, but they would find a way to come back. Uh, and I think that's true for Fox News as well, you know, with all the, uh, you know, much praised or whatever, uh, analyzed Fox turning on on Trump and specifically the New York Post, the, the Murdoch empire, they were going to turn back. You know, there's just nobody who can compare to him. Uh, you know, not Ron DeSantis for sure. Uh, so I, I, I assume that it would have happened anyway. I don't I don't really think this is, you know, something Merrick Garland did. Uh, it would have happened. Let's talk about Colorado Springs. It's not being identified as a hate crime at this point by police, but it has that look. And I see you retweeted something about ultra right wing Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert? Well, yeah, she's, you know, tweeting her thoughts and prayers for the victims, but she's done as much as anyone uh, to create this climate of of hate. Uh, You know, the, the idea that they have turned on gay people, uh, as groomers, trans people as groomers, groomers of, you know, young children, that they have wrapped them in what is really the QAnon conspiracy, right? It's just, you know, all Democrats, all prominent Democrats are are part of some kind of sex trafficking ring. And they really drill down on that with their attacks on the LGBTQ community and their specific attacks on uh, drag queens, trans people. So, you know, please spare me. I mean, I always feel like spare me your thoughts and prayers when you are, you know, in the pocket of the NRA, when you are, you know, a major uh, gun fetishist, but particularly Boebert, because people, as you saw on Twitter, people can take, you know, 30 seconds and dig up all of her homophobic tweets that create a climate like this. We do not know what this young person, I gather he's young, I think he's in his early 20s, uh, why he did this, but we have seen a lot of this before, unfortunately. So Um, your retweet was of somebody who uh, put two Lauren Boebert tweets side by side, (laughs) the one from yesterday that said, the news out of Colorado Springs is absolutely awful. This morning, the victims and their families are in my prayers. 
and that's placed side by side with one of hers previously that says, a North Carolina preschool is using the LGBT flag flashcards with a pregnant woman to teach kids colors. We went from reading rainbow to Randy rainbow in a few decades, but don't dare say the left is grooming our kids. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the, the grooming slur is the worst. I mean, it, it, it was used for decades against mainly gay men uh, to depict them as pedophiles. Uh, there is no, there's nothing of the kind that's ever been proven to go on. Sadly, uh, in my own Catholic church, there's more abuse of young boys uh, than has ever been laid at the feet of gay men. Uh, so it's just something they made up. It's not something that is real, but I'm sure it's something that is resonating, especially with very uh, disturbed young men. Uh, and so we, we don't know yet. We're going to find out. I don't want to get too far out ahead on this, uh, but I assume we're going to find out that it is the result of a worldview like Lauren Boebert's. And here is a pastor, a lesbian, as identified on Morning Edition today, uh, from Pikes Peak Metropolitan Community Church in Colorado, Reverend Alicia Erickson, uh, blaming religion, even though she's a pastor, in part for anti-LGBTQ hate crimes and narratives. Listen. Far too often, that is the narrative, that is the rhetoric that is perpetrated against people in the LGBTQ community. And it is the root of the violence that we saw last night at Club Q against members of our LGBTQ community. Reverend Alicia Erickson of Pikes Peak Metropolitan Community Church in Colorado. Taking a step back, Joan, what do you make of the Republican positioning on gay rights, or maybe we should say on the humanity of LGBTQ people? I see the Senate just passed an anti-filibuster motion on the way, apparently, to codifying same-sex marriage nationally with 12 Republican votes and three Republican co-sponsors in the Senate. But the bill will also have an amendment recognizing religious liberty. So is, is that a fair both-and diversity position? Yes, you can get married under the law, even if the Supreme Court undoes its ruling guaranteeing that under the Constitution, but also, yes, you don't have to do business with same-sex marriage if that's your religion. I guess it just shows us where we are, Brian. I, you know, I I would not want that to be part of uh, the the bill, the you know, the law that's coming, of course, but if it's what it requires, uh, I guess I can live with it since so many, you know, LGBTQ advocates are uh, are living with it and saying it is a step ahead. Um, I, you know, I, I think in a country as religious as this one, uh, we probably have to have certain kinds of carve outs for people's personal beliefs. That does not mean if you are you know, a county clerk, you can deny marriage licenses. It might mean, I mean, it does mean that if you are a church, you don't have to do these sorts of ceremonies. 
Um, I think we're going to be feeling our way to the right answer for a long time, but this is progress. Um, when you see the, the number of Republicans who joined on and you look back at, you know, the Democrats who voted for the Defense of Marriage Act back in the 90s, you know, you have to feel like we're making progress, even if it's imperfect and incomplete. And Joan, as I know you know, your article headline is the opposite of one that Mayor Adams had in USA Today. His was called, As Democrats Celebrate Averting Election Disaster, We Can't Ignore the Voters We're Losing. So make your argument. Why did New York lose Democrats the House and who's to blame as you see it? And then I'll throw some Eric Adams arguments at you. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Um, you know, I, I guess I do blame Eric Adams partly because of the way in which he hyped the crime problems. And we do have crime problems, Brian. We both live here. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie, but they are not they are not what Adams creates when he describes the hellscape we're all living in. And they are not caused by the bail reform law that was passed. I mean, you and I have discussed this before. Uh, it's complicated, but the bail reform law is not by itself putting, you know, uh, dangerous criminals back on the street. I would argue the the worst thing about bail reform is that a lot of judges aren't even paying attention to the discretion they do have to keep people they deem violent or likely to reoffend uh, behind bars. But at any rate, um, I think that those who created that uh, vision of New York like Adams are partly to blame. Um, I think that Jay Jacobs, I, I don't I don't understand why, and I don't believe that she ultimately will. Uh, Kathy Hochul keeps Jacobs as the New York Democratic Party chair. He's also the chair of the Nassau County uh, Democrats, which also did poorly. I think on you know both counts, he really ought to take some accountability and walk away. We'll see if he does, maybe during the holidays when things are quieter. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there were just a lot of Democrats, a, a fair number of Democrats who played into the fears around crime and to some extent inflation uh, and did not run campaigns they could be proud of or that touted what Democrats accomplished in terms of the, you know, pandemic relief and the CHIPS bill that's letting, you know, businesses uh, expand their factories around the state and elsewhere. Um, the infrastructure bill that is so crucial to New York as, as we look around our crumbling infrastructure. Uh, you know, it, it just, they, a lot of Democrats sort of helped Lee Zeldin. He lost, you know, he's not our governor. He's not going to be our governor, but I mean, it's crazy. He had coattails in losing and Hochul had no coattails in winning. And I think it is because they botched the crime messaging. Annette in Laurelton, Queens, you're on WNYC. Hi, Annette. Hi. Um, I don't think uh, our mayor has anything to do with the loss 
of those uh, congressional seats in Eastern Long Island. First of all, if you look at the communities of Cambria Heights, Laurelton, Springfield Gardens, uh, St. Albans, South Jamaica, uh, Hogel, she did very well in the uh, in voting in those uh, areas. Now, it's very clear what Zeldin was doing was hyping uh, the issue of crime. We all understand it, but his was not. You know, as I, I listened to him, he he was catering to that old old uh, Willie Horton um, playbook. Now, these communities are very very uh, middle class that I just mentioned to you, and we understand the politics that are played by some politicians. So um, you look where um, the vote was given to Hogel and you will understand exactly what I'm saying. Thank you so much, and please call us and continue to do that in the future. Here is John in Rockville Center. You're on WNYC. Hi, John. Hi, Brian. How are you? Um, in my district, we had Laura Gillen running against Desposito, who uh, used to be um, in the New York City Police Department. Um the problem I saw out here... And just for context, uh, is, for, our, for our listeners, that's a seat <clears throat> in Nassau County that was held by Democrat Kathleen Rice, and in this election, it flipped to a Republican, Anthony D'Esposito, as you say. Go ahead, John. Yes. And <clears throat> um, while I agree that the Republicans are great at fear-mongering, and uh, he was using that to great effect about crime... Um, the crime is not the issue out here, number one. And number two, the, uh, what does the congressman have to do or congressperson have to do uh, with addressing crime? That's, that's the local authorities. Mm-hmm. But what, what I was uh, upset about is out here on almost every lawn, you saw signs for uh, Zeldin. You saw signs for Desposito. They had trucks out. They had all sorts of support. Um, we called to try and get a sign. Um, it took us forever just to get a sign to put up for Laura Gillen. Um, there was no support from the Democratic Party at all. Um, sure. I, I thought it was disgraceful, and she was a highly qualified candidate, whereas Desposito, uh, you know, he, he, he's, just, he's just terrible. Well, well, we'll give him a chance to see what he does in Congress. But, John, thank you. Keep calling us yourself. And, Joan Walsh, that's such a, con- a common complaint that we heard from Democrats even during the campaign and now certainly after the campaign, considering some of the results. Where were the lawn signs and doesn't that fall? And where were, where were the flyers in people's inboxes, um, actual physical right. mailboxes? And does that not fall at the leadership? You know, this is one where the manager might actually be responsible for the performance of the players. Um, If Jay Jacobs, as Democratic chair for the state, didn't coordinate that kind of campaign. No, he did not. He did not try. Uh, He has not for many years. Uh, I, I got nothing. I'm used to, you know, just having my mailbox overflowing with mail around election day, Brian, and that did not happen. I was able to come home after five days in Atlanta 
and you know just take out some <laughs> some nice promotions from Central Park Conservancy and others for Christmas giving. Uh, but that's insane. I mean, I've never I've never seen an election like this. I just want to say and, and I want to thank John and Annette, our callers, because, you know, they, they point to a couple things. John lives in my old district. I grew up in Oceanside on Nass in Nassau County. Um, it was a hotbed of uh, white backlash in the 60s and 70s when I lived there. I just have to say that. But it's gotten more diverse and more liberal over time, and it should have stayed blue. Suffolk County is a different story, somewhat different story. I was in Zeldin's district about a week before the election, and it was, you know, total Zeldin uh, signs, flyers, sides of barns, everything. But, you know, both those places were primed for the crime message, even though obviously they have very little crime there. But it is their, their identity, some people's identities are predicated around, we don't go into the city anymore. It is too dark in both senses of the word. And I certainly saw that in Suffolk. I think that Long Island could have, that excuse me, Nassau could have been better with a better campaign, uh, but, I just, you know, I I wrote about that in my piece. I look at these places as, you know, ground zero for the white backlash uh, against the changes of the 60s. And Democrats haven't taken seriously how much work they need to do to bring those places and those voters along with them. Uh, and they were basically abandoned this cycle. And we know what happened. Joan Walsh, Nation Magazine National Affairs Correspondent and co-producer of the Emmy-nominated The Sit-In on NBC's Peacock TV stream. Joan, always great to have you. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.